Welcome back to the QEH podcast, the place to find out more about the school and to connect with staff, pupils and parents at a deeper level. Each week we'll be interviewing people within the QEH community, asking them questions and spending time understanding more about them and more about the school. Now in this episode we're speaking to two people. Nick Purcell is the Deputy Head Pastoral and he's joined by Assistant Head Lydia Mantle. Together, they talk about how the school looks out for the well-being of the pupils, the effect of the pandemic, and what parents can be doing to look out for their children in the home too. Now, it's great to get Nick and Lydia both together. School life means that they, like others, are always busy. So to have all three of us together is a rare moment and a treat for the podcast series. But let's get this intro out of the way. And instead, let's speak to Nick Purcell and Lydia Mantle. Nick, Lydia, thank you for joining us on this episode of the podcast. How are you both doing today? Very well, thank you. Yeah, very well, Simon. Thank you. And tell me how your world is looking today. We're recording this on a Thursday morning. It's, what, 20 past nine in the morning. What does a typical Thursday look like for you, Nick? Both of us have had an early start this morning. We had parental meetings from about 8.15. And then school kicks off at 8.35, as many will know, with with tutor periods, uh, with lessons starting at nine o'clock. Well, I appreciate you both being here because it is tricky at times to find two people in your position to be both available at the same time. So it's really good to have you both here. Lydia, how's your day looking so far today? Yeah, all good. Um, so as Nick said, had a meeting with parents first thing, um, obviously now doing this. We had another, we had a meeting actually between colleagues in between my parent meeting and the podcast. And I've got a meeting with staff at break time before lessons after break. So it's a busy Thursday. It's all go, go, go. But I imagine that every day at QEH is, is, is a busy day. Lydia, just tell me about your role there, because I understand you used to be ahead of year seven. And in fact, you and I did a podcast recording, I think, in the summer of last year. But now you're in a different role. So tell us, first of all, before we get into the meat of this episode, about that transition from your previous role into your current role. Yeah. So as you say, I was head of year seven um, for nearly three years, um, which I really enjoyed. And then my role changed in April of this year. So I'm now one of the assistant heads uh, and it's a new role. um, And I'm in charge of uh, looking after pupil well-being and equity. So two very key areas um, for our pupils here. Pupil well-being and equity. Tell me more about what that means then. Yeah, so pupil well-being, obviously that's, we, we'll obviously go, we'll go into that a little bit later into the podcast, I would imagine, but we um, we currently have a really strong pastoral provision here. Um, so pupil well-being is really tying in with that and just ensuring that each and every one of our pupils is um, doing well at school um, and if they have any struggles or challenges whatever those might be that we would support them appropriately um, so I'm currently doing lots of different things on that side which I can obviously talk about but that essentially is yeah pupil well-being and um, what it says on the tin um, just obviously ensuring that pupils are well looked after and happy yeah so that's that's pretty much it and as assistant head and of course you're joined there by Nick who's deputy head pastoral just for the sake of anybody listening to this what's the difference between assistant head and deputy head simon i think the the deputy head just has a little more ultimate responsibility um, a little bit more oversight lydia as assistant head can really specialize in her remit of pupil well-being and pupil equality so she's a little bit more boots on the ground in that respect, um, whereas a deputy head will just have a little bit more oversight across the whole school. Got it. OK. And then in your role as deputy head pastoral there, Nick, tell us a little bit about that, about what that means and about what that role brings to the school. Yeah, absolutely. It's obviously an integral role to the school. We have a firm 
belief that if pupils are, are happy and content at school that everything else falls into place. Um, so ultimately I'm responsible for making sure pupils are safe and happy and looked after here at school. Uh, and obviously here at QEH, we're incredibly proud of the pastoral care we provide our pupils. Um, so it's a really critical role for us. And how long has this role been in place for? Of course, deputy head has been a role for, for a long time, but the pastoral side of school life, I'm just thinking back to sort of 30, 40, 50 years ago, there was less consideration for the pastoral side and the well-being of children, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. And I think naturally as society has changed in the in the time frame you mentioned, the pastoral care of pupils has become increasingly important. Um, for as long as I can remember, it's been a really critical role in each and every school. Um, but I would say absolutely, so say from the 80s onwards, as a deputy head pastoral had a, a really important role in schools. So tell us about the pastoral team. How does it actually look? How's it built up? Well, we're incredibly lucky here at QH to have a, a really gifted pastoral team. I suppose in the first instance, every pupil will be in a form group and they have a form tutor and that is very much the front line of pastoral care. Pupils will see their form tutors at 8.35 of every day um, and it's a really good opportunity and a really rewarding one as, as staff to build some really special relationships with pupils not directly linked to the academic side of the school. So you just get to know pupils on a slightly different level. The form tutors are then supported by a head of year and assistant head of year, which just allows us to really react to the, the, the needs of different pupils in, in a really effective way. Above the head of year team, uh, we have a, a key role of a deputy designated safeguard and lead. And here at QEH, we have three of those of which Lydia is one. And their main responsibility is to support, support the heads of year in ensuring pupils are safe and looked after. And then I sit above that in my designated safeguarding lead role. Aside from that, we have a school counsellor, we have a nursing team, and everybody within that team is, is totally committed to the, to the welfare of pupils. And uh, it, it really helps a, to promote a conducive environment to where we place the well-being of pupils at the, the front and centre of everything we do. Clearly, there's a lot of support there for young people in school. But tell me a little bit then about how that actually plays out, because, you know, it's great having a, a large team to look after young people. It's great to know that that support is there. But if I was one of the pupils at QEH, say I'm in, in year nine, how does that support actually look for me? It's an interesting question. And we, I would absolutely agree, it's a big team, uh, and we firmly believe we need that big team because the challenges pupils face in the modern day change at such such rapid pace. We need the resource there to be able to respond to that and to, to promote the best possible outcomes for pupils. It's an interesting question because I, I've obviously mentioned before that, that the form tutor is, is the front line of pastoral care and they will see their pupils in the, more, in the first thing of each morning. But we often speak to pupils here that they can speak to any adult within the building, any trusted adult that they want to, to speak to. Um, and it's something that as a, an entire staff body, we place a great amount of importance on. So if a year nine people were to come in and they were perhaps feeling a little off colour or they were slightly anxious, um, they would know that any adult within the building is ready and willing to listen to them. To complement that, 
our staff are trained on how they respond to people's issues and queries and anxieties and then that gets fed into the pastoral team so that would get fed into for, for your example a year nine people to form tutors and heads of year who will hold a central record of everything that's happening with that people at the at that moment in time so that we can respond really effectively and as a member of staff kind of keeping an eye on children in school what what kind of things might become a bit of a red flag in terms of you know the any change in behavior what what sort of things would staff be noticing it's an excellent question and i don't want to be a politician and try and avoid your answer but there's not one straight answer to that question because each of the the pupils are individuals and react to their stimulus in different ways what we really pride ourselves on is knowing the individual and with the the big pastoral team that we have that enables us to do that we will look for changes in behavior some pupils find it a little bit more easily to articulate anxiety and, and struggles than others um, but in essence because we know the pupils so well we're able to spot um, behavioral changes or responses etc um, and we're able to really quickly share that information amongst adults so that we can monitor pupils really closely so I'm not sure I've entirely answered the question, but I'm not sure there is a, a direct answer because each pupil may present in slightly different ways. In, in many ways, it's good that there isn't sort of a, a stock list of things to look out for because, you know, yeah. it could indicate that it's, it's kind of prescriptive, whereas this is much more about putting the pupil at the heart of all of this, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lydia, I'd love to understand a bit more about what sort of things parents could be looking out for and and I guess as well how parents could get the balance right between you know, not wanting to stick their nose into their children's lives too much, but at the same time, you know, kind of keeping an eye on them. You know, for example, we all know that teenagers tend to spend more time in their bedrooms as they advance through their teenage years. But at what point should parents be concerned about too much time being spent in bedrooms and, you know, things like that? What could parents be doing then to look out for their children better, I guess, is really the nub of that question. Well, again, similar to what Nick said, individual children have very different circumstances and family backgrounds and contexts. So yeah, it's, it's sort of easy to say these statements about, about teenagers, for example, but obviously each family is, is very different and each of our pupils arrives here every day coming from that, that different context. Um, I think one of the things we're, we're fortunate about in terms of parents looking after their children is that the, the volume of information surrounding supporting young people has has rocketed, certainly in the last few years and following um, COVID. Um, and I think we'd be sort of kidding ourselves if we thought that that hadn't impacted our parents as well as our pupils. Um, but I think there is that volume of information that is out there to support parents knowing what to look for. And obviously we as a school are keen to support parents as much as we can with that. So I think... Obviously, parents, as we would be doing, could be monitoring their their children's moods and how they present themselves and how they engage with family life and with school life and with life outside of school, um, just to see if there have been any changes. And obviously, many of those changes can be linked to the, the sort of traditional hormonal changes that you would expect in the life of a teenager, for example. Um, but obviously with every child being different, it's a case of parents looking out for what might be out of character for their child. And that's what we would be looking at at school as well. If a, if a child's behaviour suddenly changed dramatically or they were disengaged from something um, for a prolonged period of time, that would be a, a red flag to us. And that's something that parents can obviously be keeping an eye on um, because there is an element of, of young people 
growing into adults and navigating the, the challenges that have always been there. But I think obviously in society today, our young people are presented with arguably a much more complex situation than we experienced when we were growing up. Uh, and certainly like the influx of, of um, social media and technology and all the very many options that are open to them and all the, the vast amounts of information that are being sort of, that's being thrown at them is probably or can be problematic. Um, so I think it's it's very much more multifaceted today than it than it ever has been. Um, but we're obviously keen to be working with parents as much as we can to support them in that. So just as an, as an example, this week um, on Monday of this week, we had a talk from um, a representative or the CEO of a charity called Care for the Family. Um, and that was a talk that was given specifically to look at um, monitoring the safe use of devices or the appropriate use of devices amongst um, our young people. And that was that was well attended by parents, uh, many of whom are parents of our year seven pupils um, who have just been um, given uh, an iPad um, to sort of equip them for school life. And obviously with that, with those many advantages come come challenges. So we had you know, we had parents attending that talk who wanted that support. Um, and we were able to to give that to them. And some interesting points came out of that in terms of um, digitally navigating family life. And yeah, so hopefully that was useful, but that's just an example of one of the ways um, we are supporting parents to be able to support their children. Do you think it's much more tricky for children growing up in 2022 as opposed to maybe growing up in, in the 70s, 80s or, or 90s, like some of the parents who are going to be listening to this podcast episode? Yeah, I mean, I think, Societally, obviously, things have shifted beyond anything any of us could have expected. And there were, you, know, you can't obviously can't deny that there weren't societal challenges back then. But how the extent to which those challenges entered the home, I think, is is a lot less than than today. So whilst it's a very good thing, our young people are, if they would like to be, you continually exposed to the wider world which on the one hand is, is, is brilliant because they're informed and they're making you know, mature, informed decisions and um, opinions about, about matters, global matters. But on the flip side of that, they're, they're constantly being bombarded with that information, which is, is a lot to take in as a young person. So you could argue that sort of 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, young people were a lot more sheltered and with that came advantages, but I think also disadvantages that we can't sort of discount. But I think at the heart of it, it's it's all about, again, it's about the individual and it's about how a family navigates these things together. And I think that we can't sort of shut the outside world out, which does present its challenges, but we can sort of communicate and navigate it um, sort of as a united front uh, to best support um, young people. Now, Nick, one of the things Lydia mentioned there was the pandemic. And I, I think it'd be hard to get through an episode like this where we're talking about well-being of children without mentioning the pandemic. How have you seen the pandemic affect children's mental health? And how have you seen that play out at QEH? Yeah, Simon, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a really pressing issue. And I know it's not just at schools, but across society that we've all found coming through the pandemic really difficult. I suppose casting my mind back to when we returned to school for the first time, one of the most noticeable things was just a lack of routine for pupils. They'd missed the routine. They'd missed the social interaction with their friends in person. So there was this great sense of relief that pupils were able to get back into the building and to get to familiar, to a familiar setting. And the pupils were just so desperate to get back into lessons, which was so fantastic. But as you quite rightly say, 
that we've lived through hopefully what is once in a lifetime sort of phenomenon in the in the pandemic and that had a massive impact on pupils and we saw that in terms of confidence uh, one of the things that we pride ourselves on here at QEH is allowing or creating an environment for pupils where they can take intellectual risks and where perhaps they were a little less confident. I would say in the classrooms that I taught in, there was a little less intellectual risk taking and that just becomes symptomatic of wider things. Um, so there was a little less confidence of pupils. Perhaps some of the interactions between pupils were I think a, a polite way of putting it was a little more clumsy, perhaps some kindness where they hadn't been in the in familiar surroundings and they were sharing space with other people. Perhaps some of the the manners between people, pupils weren't what they were pre-pandemic. And it's an ongoing, an ongoing issue that we want to address. And that was one of the key reasons as a senior leadership team that we uh, we added the role that Lydia now has here at school, because it's not something that we're going to be able to resolve quickly. And we wanted to, to have a long-term commitment to people wellbeing, and hence why we added an assistant head role to the leadership team. No, I see. Well, thank you. Thank you for answering that. And Nick, I think you have your own children as well. How do you find being a parent yourself helps you in this role at school? It's really interesting because the two children I have are sort of of preschool age. So I have uh, a boy who's four and a, a girl that's two. I suppose one of the things that it strikes me and I often say to parents is I don't envy the position in parenthood they're in because there are so many challenges that our young people face. So just being able to experience that in a professional capacity ahead of my own children getting there in a number of years is, is really beneficial. What is really interesting and helps me in my role is both of my children are totally different in their personality. Uh, my wife and I would like to hope that we've been, we've given them sort of the same childhood to date, but they are absolutely different children. And it sometimes you can forget that here as a teacher when you're talking to a group of 20 or perhaps in, the, in sixth form, you're, you're talking to a group of of. 12 or 15 pupils, that everybody in that room is an individual. And that really feeds into the pastoral care that we feed our pupil. It is very much individual focus. So that's one of the things that I, as a parent, how that sort of weaves into, into my professional life. No, I see. Thank you for that. Now, Lydia, you're six months into this role, I think, if I'm doing my maths correctly. What would you say is one of the most rewarding aspects of your job so far? One of the things that I have been really excited about is the level of enthusiasm that's come from the pupils for my role. Um, and certainly on the sort of equity side, we've got a lot of pupils who are very well informed and very passionate about the area of equality, diversity and inclusion uh, in the wider world, but also specifically within the school environment. And one of the things I am um, focusing on this year is increasing the importance of pupil voice. So, and that obviously ties in with pupil wellbeing as well, making the pupils feel they've got the opportunity to speak out and to be heard and to belong within the community. And so I've been sort of revamping uh, this term, the school council, um, and we've changed the system entirely. So the pupils have actually applied to take part in the council you know, semi-formally. Um, and I've also split them into three streams. So we've got academic and co-curricular, um, school facilities and environment and mental health and well-being, equality, diversity and inclusion. And there's been a huge level of enthusiasm and interest from the student body 
for that. And I think, yeah, that's probably one of the most rewarding things is actually having meetings with those young people who've put themselves forward to speak out on behalf of the community and engaging them with the ideas that they have. Um, and I'm meeting people sort of almost every day who've got ideas of practical things they want to be doing in school and how they want to be contributing. And I think um, having been through a period of, of arguably, you know, arguably a period of, of social isolation with the pandemic, we're really seeing a shift now that things are back up and running um, from young people actually really wanting to come out of that position of isolation and be really um, active and involved and not in a sort of performative sense. They're actually a practical application of, of what they, you know, what they hold as their opinions. And that's really that's been really exciting. Uh, so, yeah, I would say that's hugely rewarding. So sort of seeing that engagement and enthusiasm from the pupils and actually being able to um, support them in their suggestions rather than just hear them actually make things happen. It's great to hear that about the school council. I, I love that idea of of breaking it down into those different areas. But I also love the fact that you're, you're seeing that things are back up and running. I mean, that's a great phrase, back up and running post-pandemic, which is really good. Lydia and Nick, I'm conscious of time. I'm conscious that you both need to get back to your, to your normal roles in school instead of talking to me here today. So I just want to say thank you very much for your time. It's been really good talking to you both and I really appreciate you both being here. Thank you, Simon. Likewise, Simon. Thank you very much. So that was Nick Purcell and Lydia Mantle talking about the well-being of young people at QEH. Thank you to you both for being here. So good of you to give up your time to talk to us. Actually, after we stopped the recording, I asked how long it was until they both needed to be somewhere else. And it was literally a few minutes. So Nick, Linda, I hope you managed to grab a cup of tea on the way. Now, our next episode is coming out soon, but in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.